This podcast may contain content that is graphic and disturbing in nature. Listener discretion is advised. A family's frustration mounts as the murder of their teenage daughter goes unsolved. But would a new FBI classification help provide any answers? This is the Maggie Long story. Megan, this studio is fabulous. Thank you. I am so unbelievably excited that it's finally done. We need to post pictures. Your paint color choice is impeccable. Thank you so much. It's just so nice to have a permanent studio now, too. Like, we don't have to take things down, put things up. I absolutely, like, am just so grateful. And I'm so, you know, it's such, it came out so nice. I'm so happy. I mean, between the paint color and the cute pup at my feet, I mean, things are looking good. She's also a new addition. Boy, we don't, we just do everything, like, we just do everything at once. Go big or go home. Yeah, like, let's get a house. We'll do our studio. James took a trip to Alaska, get a dog. Like, you know, but it's good. It's good life over here. Good. I'm glad you guys are finally all settled. By the time this comes out, though, you do realize the studio will be old news, but. Old news by then, but. All right. Well, that's okay. Megan, have you heard the Maggie Long case before? No, I don't. I, I Once again, I don't know how you managed to pick one that I don't know. Maybe when you start giving me details, I will. But right now, I just don't know it. I don't know if you ever do this, but sometimes I come across a case organically and then I go check the list to see if it's on there as well. And a lot of times it is. Yeah. So like when I'm like looking for a new case, sometimes I'll go to the list and look for a case. Other times I'll just be reading the news or something and I see something and I'm like, oh, that's good. Yeah. So I was reading up on this case. It got a reclassification recently, which we'll talk about. So there's a little bit renewed interest in it. And then I went to our list and saw that a few listeners have actually suggested it as well. Okay, great. Maggie was born to parents Heather and San Long on December 18th, 1999. Her parents were both born to an ethnic Chinese community in North Vietnam. And during the Vietnam War, they both fled to the United States and later got married. Maggie had two older sisters and a younger brother. The family resided in Bailey, Colorado. It's in Park County in Denver suburbs, which is about 45 minutes southwest of the city of Denver. It's like a little rural mountain community. Perfect. We'd be very happy there. I was just going to say that. (laughs) (laughs) U.S. born citizens make up 98.8% of the population. In fact, the Asian population in the area is at just 0.04%. Oh, wow. Yeah. However, the Longs lived very comfortably. They were really popular in the community. They worked very hard. They owned a liquor store, probably why they were very popular. (laughs) I was going to (laughs) say... But also several restaurants. One was a Thai food restaurant. One was Chinese food restaurant. So, you know, people in the community knew them. They lived in a very large home, over 6,000 square feet on 25 acres. Oh, my gosh. You're kidding me. And it was a ranch. Beautiful. Well, not only was it a huge home on large acreage, it was a quarter mile from the road. So it's one of those long gated driveways. So you could see it on Google Images. And it's just like private and awesome. It sounds like the dream. Yeah. So... Very successful. The four children of the Long family often worked at the family businesses while attending school and doing some activities. Now, the family, the Long family did not like to keep their money in a bank, so they often invested it. Oh, okay. Yeah, so they owned a ton of real estate in addition. So I think that's why they were, you know, doing so well, because not only did they have the businesses, they also had several real estate properties in various parts of Colorado and also in Louisville. 
Additionally, they were looking into purchasing some real estate in California at the time of this event. That's a lot going on. In the winter of 2017, Maggie was a senior at Platte Canyon High School, where she was very involved in many activities. Now, Maggie played softball. She was part of a theater group. She was always volunteering and also got straight A's. And I said she worked at her family's restaurant. So, you know, she was an all-around high-achieving teenager. Yeah. Friday, December 1st was a normal school day for Maggie, but she had big plans that evening. Now, she was part of a crew that was organizing a concert at the school that night. And they had, you know, they would have several bands from the local area performing. At the conclusion of the school day, Maggie had planned to go home to change and to pick up some refreshments for that evening. Mm -hmm. She left the school around 3.30, telling several friends and teachers that she would be back in about an hour. However, to everyone's surprise, she did not return. And now she was not the type to flake. Mm -hmm. She... Always was responsible. If you needed her there, she was always there. And she was, you know, a girl of her word. And she had really been looking forward to this concert. Texts and calls went unanswered while the concert began. Now, at around 7.20 p.m. that evening, one of her older sisters, Connie, went to the school to look for her. She says she had an awful feeling when she didn't see Maggie at the concert because Maggie still was not answering her phone. So at this point, Connie headed to the family's home where she was met with a chaotic scene consisting of police cars, fire trucks, and ambulances. Oh, wow. The long residence was on fire and Maggie's car was in the driveway. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. So, you know, Connie panicked, She but she was not getting any answers. She had no idea what was going on and she had no idea where Maggie was. Well, around the same time that Connie was looking for Maggie at the school, a man called 911 identifying himself as the tenant of the attic apartment at the Long's home. So they had rent, they had a, an attic apartment that they rented out to an individual. Hmm. Now he called 911 to report that there were one or more people in the home who were arguing, throwing things, and trying to set the house on fire. He also said he refused to leave the home. Why? I think he was scared. Maybe he was stubborn. Maybe it was a little bit of both. Okay. I'm not sure. But police and fire arrived just minutes later, and they reported flames coming from the garage area. So the whole house was not engulfed. So the fire was not where the tenant was. I would imagine if it was closer, he would have actually left the apartment. Okay. But I think he heard a lot of chaos, and he was like, I'm not going down there till the police come, which I I think makes sense. Okay, that makes sense. The fire department worked on the flames, and the officers, meanwhile, ran the plates of three cars that were parked in the driveway. One vehicle belonged to the tenant, who was in the attic. One vehicle belonged to Maggie Long, and one was registered to Maggie's father, San Long. At around 7.30, Heather Long, Maggie's mother, got a call from the tenant to inform her that he heard a loud bang and then the lights went out. He didn't mention to her at this point that there was a fire or other commotion. Now, Heather was working at one of the family's restaurants that evening, and she had asked her manager to please head to the family's home to check on things. I think she thought, you know, this wasn't a big deal, and she was busy supervising a very busy restaurant. You know, she I think she was very friendly with this manager. He ended up taking her car and went over to check on the house. However, when he arrived there, there was a massive police presence and he could not get anywhere near the home. The manager then called Heather back at the restaurant to say, you know, you better come here. This isn't something I can really check on. Right. Now, she didn't have her car because she had given it to her colleague. So she ends up getting a ride from a couple at the restaurant. So I think this is an indication of like a small town feel. You know, people trusted each other. Sounds like it. Could have regular customers too. Yeah. So when Heather gets home, as I mentioned, it's a chaotic scene and no one knew what was going on. Everyone's kind of just asking everyone. At this point, you have state police, you have the CBI, the Colorado Bureau of Investigations, you have detectives, you have local police, fire. At around 8 p.m., that gentleman who made the call to 911, he finally left the apartment. 
I guess he felt comfortable because the police were now on the scene. Uh-huh. So him and his cat came outside and were met by the deputies. Glad he brought his cat. Yes. As far as we know, no one else is in the house at this point. Okay. A few minutes later, the fire was put out and it was confirmed that there were multiple points of ignition, which to them and everyone else, this indicated arson. Now, by this point, the family had all been alerted that something was going on at the Long household. San Long, Maggie's father, remember his car was in the driveway. Yeah. Was he there? Yes, that's a good question. Actually, he was in Oakland, California, attending to some business. Remember I said they were looking to buy more real estate? Mm. So he was checking out some places. Now, he was contacted and quickly booked a flight back to Colorado. And he arrived about 1 a.m., somewhere around 1, 2 a.m. that following morning. At this point, one of the older sisters picked up the younger brother from a friend's house. And they ended up going to a grandparent's house. Another sister who lived in Minnesota at the time, returned. So, you know, the family's all gathering, try to figure out what was going on. Nobody knew where Maggie was. So now, Megan, we're talking the next morning. They have no word about where their daughter is. It was believed initially that perhaps she was kidnapped or somehow she was taken from the home. Either she left the home by her own free will or she was taken. No one really knew. So I assume that the firemen and other responders didn't find a body in the house because I would have assumed with her car in the driveway that she was in the fire and and died. And that's a really good question. However, later that morning, one of Park County's coroner deputies reported to the house. Now, this was a clear or obvious indication to everyone that if a coroner is showing up, there must have been a body found. That's what I would assume, too. But nothing's been made official. The Longs are not getting any answers, so nobody really knows what's going on. Now, CBI spent most of the day collecting evidence and interviewing people. Finally, later in the day, this is now Saturday, December 2nd, the Park County officials released a statement that said, quote, on-scene investigation is wrapped up. Cause and origin of the fire is inconclusive. Still no sign of her. No body at the fire scene. So this seems to contradict the fact that there was a coroner's deputy on the scene. Okay. Shortly after that statement being posted, it was posted to their Facebook page, it was removed. Oh. It wasn't until 11 o'clock that evening when the Park County Sheriff came out and said they did, in fact, find a female body in the home. So it's back and forth here. I, I, I just hope the family had, uh, you know, some some knowledge well, before. Well, uh, as, as far as I know from what I read... The family did not know what was going on. They saw the coroner deputy, but then they heard there was no body found. What torture? But then, you know, so I think it was like up and down for them. Two days later, on December 4th, a judge issued a gag order to all agencies involved. Now, this just simply means that they were not permitted to release any information to the public or the media. I think the reason why they did this is they were embarrassed. They really screwed up by saying that there was no body at the scene and then coming back out a few hours later and saying that there was, in fact, a body. Right. After the gag order was rescinded, a press release on December 7th claimed, finally, that Long's body was found in the house. Was that fire the cause of death? Are you going to get to this? I will get get to to this. Okay. And the reason I'm not getting to it yet is because they didn't get to it yet either. At this point, nobody knows. Okay. And again, this is publicly nobody knows. I don't know who knew what behind the scenes. Right. Of course. What year was this again? 2017. December. All right. Thanks. So later that day when they finally said, yes, it was in fact Maggie Long's body that was found in the house, a bolo was broadcasted. Do you know what a bolo is? Be on the lookout. Uh, Be on the lookout. Now, this was broadcasted to the Denver Police Department. The contents of the bolo were reported by numerous TV stations in Denver. I'm going to read it to you, and there's a reason I'm reading it verbatim. All right. Okay. Quote, the Bolo is going to be for a late model 90s to 2000 light-colored minivan, possibly driven by a white male in his 20s. 
Homicide occurred during an arson, and the suspect driver may have some flash burns as well as gasoline taken from the house. A large case, AK-47, 2,000 rounds of ammo, of 7.62 and a 9mm Beretta. Please advise the subject is considered armed and dangerous. As we would come to find out, this was not intended for public release. So this was supposed to be an internal bolo. Law enforcement. It was a law enforcement bolo. It was a law enforcement bolo, but it got released to the public. Oh, my god! So someone got fired, at least one person. So then authorities released another statement. Quote, we did issue a bolo, but it was not intended for public consumption. It was supposed to go out through a confidential law enforcement source. I can't confirm what news stations are reporting. It's really quite disruptive to our investigation because of the problems that it has caused. Because of the problems it has caused, we are going to have to reconvene the task force and decide how information for a public clarification on the bolo will be crafted. Now, the community is pissed. The community was told that there was no danger. You know, because everyone's like, what happened here? What's going on? And they were told, like, there's nothing, you know, if the community was in danger, we would say so. Everything's fine. The community's not in danger. However, now this bolo that was not supposed to be public information is saying that the suspects are at large with a ton of guns and ammo. Yeah. Uh, Where also um, did they get this information from? Are you going to get to that right away? I'm like, I just can't wait to like how they that's a, you know, very specific how they came to that conclusion. But yeah, Yeah, we'll get there. So far, this investigation is a disaster, it sounds like. It is. I would say so. The public were not the only ones in the dark. It took four days for the Long family to be allowed back inside their home and to start learning more details about what actually happened to their family member. My gosh. According to an interview with one of the sisters, family reported that they were not allowed anywhere near the home because it was considered a crime scene. At one point, finally, four days later, a sheriff took them through to show them certain parts of the house, different parts of ignition. Okay. And the sheriff also asked everyone close to Maggie not to talk to the media or discuss details for weeks after the tragic event. Now, it's unclear why, but I'm not that surprised. Though, Megan, we've heard this before, right? The deputies will often ask those close to the victim not to talk to the media. Yeah. This is not surprising. But I think what we see here is that the longs are also in the dark. Yes. Yes. You know, I have heard, I mean, I wouldn't say a lot, but I've definitely heard um, victims' family members who feel frustrated because they're kept in the dark by law enforcement. It's not uncommon. You know, there's certain information that they don't want to get out. But in this case, it seems like they released all, you know, accidentally released all that information Mm -hmm. uh, anyway. But it's also, it can be very hurtful to victims' family members when they are are not included and, and don't really understand the reasons why or not properly informed as to why. But from a law enforcement perspective, we also know that there's some information that you need to keep close to the chest for the integrity of the investigation. Absolutely. I think it's all in the way you handle it, too. And, and sometimes victims' families don't feel handled well. Yeah. They feel ignored. So if you handle it properly, mm-hmm. then perhaps they feel better. A lot of places now have like victim advocates that work in police stations, right, for that reason? Oh, yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Victim advocates have been around for a while now and in the courts. On December 17th, 2017, two and a half weeks after her death and on the day that Maggie would have turned 18, there was a celebration of her life held at her high school. Now, by then, the police had cleared several suspects close to Maggie. It's not known exactly who they cleared, but I would imagine they looked at friends, families, neighbors, and they, they did specifically say that they cleared that tenant who was living at the property. I was going to ask that too. Because that's the first person. I mean, the person who called 911, the only other person at the scene. Right. Do we have a cause of death yet? Nope. Okay. Because, again, it wasn't until February 2018, almost six weeks later, that we finally have an idea of what is going on. Okay. Okay. 
So the department issues its first, really its first press release because the other ones were a mistake. Right, right. So investigators ultimately concluded that a physical altercation took place between Maggie and her assailants, which included at least three men, before a fire was started. They believe that she interrupted a home invasion and she was alive when the fire was started. No other information about her injuries or the altercation were released. The only other information released was that the coroner officially ruled Maggie's death a homicide. During this press release, it was also verified that the suspect stole a Beretta handgun, an AK-47 style rifle, 2,000 rounds of ammunition, a green safe, and several jade figurines. From their home? From the home. Okay. So a lot of this we know from the bolo. But now right. but now they're just saying, okay, now we're ready to tell you. And they're, right. adding, they're adding in a few more things. And they also, you can see online, they put out pictures of what the safe looked like, what the figurines looked like, so that if anyone... You know, um, came across those items. Came across they can report it. Okay. The media is starting to talk to interview people, and there were some sources that reported that a neighbor called the police to report seeing an older model minivan driving very fast out of the long home just after 7 p.m. the night of the fire. I would imagine someone reported seeing three people as well, three men as well, is what I'm going to have to assume at this point. I mean, we can assume it, but they don't they don't really tell us much of how we know what we know. All right. This eyewitness reported that the van crossed dangerously into oncoming traffic and sped off. So clearly it looks suspicious. Is it possible that the police passed the suspects on the way to answer the 911 call? I think so, because the eyewitness account is almost the same time as the 911 call. Oh, boy. So we're talking a really close timeline here. Uh And there's only one way in and out of the property, which is crazy, which means either, you know, they just missed each other by seconds or I don't know. Very tight timeline. So now... Things are picking up a little. Now the public knows what's going on. Mm -hmm. The FBI was called in. They started working closely with CBI, just like we see in other investigations. They were setting up roadblocks, stopping every resident in and out of the neighborhood, handing out flyers of the vehicle and pictures of the items stolen from the house. Mm -hmm. They interviewed and questioned thousands of residents. They even went door to door taking voluntary DNA samples from any males 15 or older. Now, That leads me to believe they found DNA, but they never said they did. Right. So they came up empty-handed. A whole year passes, Megan, and there were no further leads, at least discussed publicly. And there's no surveillance video either? Not that you know of? Not that we know of. Okay. But this was not that long ago. Yeah, I know. That's why I'm asking. And with a home like that, you would expect there to be surveillance. Or even, uh, I was thinking like through the town, the van speeding, like wasn't it caught on some... Light, no. Okay. So as I mentioned, a year passes, no further leads. Then on the anniversary of Maggie's death, December of 2018, the FBI released sketches of three male suspects that they believed were involved, as well as three suspected vehicles. They also announced for the first time that they believe Maggie Long was purposely set on fire and burned alive. So That's brutal. it's, It's taking a long time, and they're very slowly releasing more and more gruesome details. They also, you know, at this time when they released the sketches and the information, they also, you know, talked about a cash reward. There was a website created for tips. And, you know, there was a lot of advocacy by Mm -hmm. both the public and by, you know, officials. Okay. So still there were no leads. And, you know, this was in 2018. And things about this case went pretty much silent. Probably not for the family who kept up their advocacy efforts, but you didn't hear much about Maggie Long in the news until May of 2021. What happened? Did they catch him? I wish I could say that, but 
they did classify Maggie's murder as a possible hate crime. Get out. And that's how I found the case. Remember I was saying I, I was I was reading something and in May of 2021, I came across an article that talked about this case being a hate crime. And so I was like, oh, so I started reading through it and I was like, this is interesting. Now, I just want to give you the definition for a hate crime by the FBI. A hate crime is a criminal offense against a person or property motivated in whole or in part by the individual's bias against a race religion, disability, ethnicity, national origin, sexual orientation, gender, or gender identity. So what's the obvious question? For me, it was, I thought it was a home invasion. How? Do, what does this have to do with a hate crime? Is that the obvious question or no? Yeah, I think the obvious question is, where's the evidence that it was a hate crime? It's not entirely clear. I don't think that the evidence that they were a minority in a community is enough to classify it as a hate crime. That's so, not enough. Yeah. So I'm thinking there's got to be something more, but it's not clear why. It has not been publicly released. However, the reclassification does add financial resources because, you know, at different times, the government gives different money to different types of crime. I do. So hate crimes, I of do. course, especially hate crimes against Asian Americans, there's more attention being paid to these types of crimes. Certainly right now there is, too. And, and I, I think I'm almost positive Biden just passed some legislation as well um, regarding to hate crimes against Asian Americans. Yeah. And at the end of this episode, we'll talk about like the current state of hate crimes against that uh, particular group of individuals. So the ongoing case is now being handled by a five person task force consisting of officials from the FBI, the Colorado Bureau of Investigation and the Park County Sheriff's Office. So these are all new officers from the original case. So they took off everyone from the original case and they brought in a whole new crew of people. Now, good or bad? Good. I'd say good too, right? Especially case. because the first group kind of mishandled things. I, I mean, I don't know. You know, I don't know what, what went wrong internally here, but probably good to get a fresh perspective here, especially since there's been no movement, I'll say. Maybe there's been some leads, but no real movement. I'm, I'm really perplexed as to how they made the decision to classify it as a hate crime. And was it just to get new resources, get it some attention or, you know? I don't know, but- Is if, there any type of evidence whatsoever? I'm trying to think like, you know, is there anything to indicate? Well, I think they know more than we know because right. I would imagine that in order to get the reclassification, you have to have probable cause. Okay. And as I said, I can't imagine just- them being a minority family would right. be enough. Right. But remember, they kept a lot of stuff close to the chest. And it's possible that if they reveal the information of why they reclassified it, that mm -hmm. might, you know, hurt the investigation. Mm -hmm. The only other thing they said at this time is that they believe that the intent of the fire was to conceal actions of the assailants, such as the physical altercation and subsequent robbery. Um, this was on their website. They also said one or more of the suspects was likely injured in the fire and that all three suspects could have altered their appearance, sold their vehicles, and possibly moved from the area. Like, that's all obvious. Like, nothing yeah. new, pretty much. No. And the Long family, you know, they don't believe that this reclassification has changed anything. There have not been any breaks in the case, and many wonder whether the new designation actually is making any difference. I'm surprised, too, with three people that the secret is still kept. I know. We always talk about that, right? I know. We do. And, and we've had people write in and say, no, there, there are definitely instances where secrets can be kept in a family, right? And we know that that's true. Yeah. So I always, that's what I always go to. Then I think, are they family members or, you know what I mean? Are they, I mean, they must be really tight, but I'm still surprised, especially given that I would expect there would be burns or injuries or something. This case just seems, there's just yeah. too many 
I don't know, almost like big, big ticket items yeah. that would identify the assailant. So yeah. I'm really surprised. I thought you were for sure going to tell me. Well, there's me. a few other interesting, you know, theories that we'll talk about as far as who might re- be responsible. Okay. But as you were talking, it reminds me of the Laura Bible and what's the, what's her name? Yes. Laura Bible. And is it Ashley Freeman? Yes, because in that case, remember, like people took it to the grave. Like it took them so long to get information on that case. And so many people knew. Remember, we were talking about how is it possible that this many people could keep a secret? Sometimes it happens. I I guess so. You're you're absolutely right. Although I would imagine if I had to guess, none of them are in prison right now, because if they were, they'd want to strike a deal by giving information up about other people. Possibly. Or they don't want to draw attention to the fact that they were part of a homicide via arson. Well, it depends what they're in for. If they're in for something lower yeah. level than that, yes. But if they're in for something, you know, equally violent, then why now, not? You had me thinking about both. I'm also thinking yeah. about the, you know, um, Ashley Freeman and Laura Bible case. I remember in that one, the reason most people kept the secret was because they were afraid of yeah. the main perpetrator. Well, so it's possible that that's, yeah. you know, there's so many possible reasons why, but I'm just surprised there's been no mention or, is there anything else? Is yeah, there any, so right. before So before we get to theories and other thoughts. I just wanted to, these are almost like sidebars, a few interesting tidbits. Okay. Okay. So one of the lead investigators that had been working on the case, now this is one of the lead sheriffs, okay? Okay. Now he, in late July of 2018, not long after the murder of Maggie Long, this sheriff sold his home in Colorado and retired to Florida. Okay. Now, why is this a problem? Well, this is a problem because he did not actually retire. He withdrew his resignation and kept his salary. So he was working the long case from Florida with the, intent, with the intent to retire. So he rented a place. He like took a vacation. He intended to remain active sheriff until the end of his term, which was January 2019. So I think that this whole investigation, besides the fact that we saw things getting leaked when they shouldn't, now we know that the lead sheriff was working the case from Florida when he had one foot out the door. Come on. So luckily, in, t- in January of 2019, a new sheriff took office. So I don't know if that's going to change anything, but I just thought that was interesting to it share. Um, that same year, the Long family sold their home for the price of the land. They got rid of the home. Yeah. And they moved to Denver because they say they could not bear to stay there. And actually, they had never returned to the home after that night. Which I don't, I don't blame, blame them. them, no. I, I don't think I could either. Yeah. And, you know, family and friends are still very much active in the search for answers. They gather every year on December 18th, Maggie's birthday, to celebrate her and remember her and bring attention to the case. Yeah. There's also a venue theater in Colorado where Maggie performed and she was honored with a scholarship fund and there was a seat plaque bearing her name. So they're really trying to keep her memory alive. Of course. Isn't that why we do shows like this, too, to also yeah. you know keep it, spread information, keep the case going, keep yep. people talking about it? So some rumors. There's always going to be rumors in cases like this, right? Yep. So, you know, on Reddit, some other social media, I like to read what people say. I take it with a grain of salt. Mm-hmm. And I know it's just gossip, mm-hmm. but it's always interesting just to see what's out there. And there are some rumors about the family possibly having some money issues. I don't see how that has anything to do with any of this. But there's a lot of chatter gossip. about that. But there is one theory that I find super interesting. Okay. So this actually emerged in 2018, but it was not made it was hard to find it i really dug a lot till i got to it and i'm not sure why it was so why why it was so buried but this other idea is that maggie's murder is somehow related to an attempted robbery and arson that occurred on june 3rd in warrensburg missouri now many of the details from the missouri case and many of the brutal uh, methods that were used are similar to maggie's case 
So in this case, they had attempted to burglarize a home and unsuccessfully tried to obtain a gun safe code from a female occupant who was set on fire alive. Now, she did survive, though. She was badly burned, but she survived. Two men who were arrested for that crime, not sure if there was a third that got away or if there was only two, but two men who were arrested, if you look at their mugshots, Mm -hmm. they bear a striking resemblance to two of the sketches released by authorities in Maggie's case. Oh, well, I got to go look at these sketches now. You have to. Now, the two men were charged with burglary, robbery, first-degree assault, arson, and armed criminal action. As you would expect, Maggie's test scores was very interested in the similarities Number one, the similarities between the cases, but then you see the similarities in pictures. Yeah. I was shocked at how similar they looked. It could just be coincidence. Now, the task force said, you know, yeah, these similarities are hard to ignore, but they do not believe there's any connection between the two crimes. And I don't know why, because we don't know everything that goes on. I was just going to say, but why? I don't know, but I believe that they really, I mean, they want to solve this as much as any of us. So I right. believe that they they really did look into it. And for some reason unknown to the public, they were able to rule this out. Mm. I don't have anything else for you, Megan, except I'd like to take a little time to talk about hate crimes. I teach about hate crimes. Do you? You do. Um, yeah, I, it's it comes up a lot in different like I talk about it when we talk about, you know, different degrees of punishment. Those who are charged with hate crimes are punished more severely mm-hmm. than individuals who do violent acts and they're motivated by rage, violence, jealousy. So I a lot of times me and my students have a big discussion about should people be punished based on the motivation? Right. I talk about it in my intro class. Do you know what the case was that really motivated or put like hate crimes on the radar of the U.S. like yeah. in the forefront? Shepherd? Yeah, Matthew Shepard and Larry. It's one of the worst. It was one. It's one of the worst cases, Mm -hmm. but it it began the conversation really about hate crimes, Mm -hmm. and it changed the legislation. I understand the impetus behind a hate crime charge, and I think there's some very clear cases where it makes perfect sense. However, what happens is kind of like I've seen this happen with terroristic threats. Mm -hmm. They kind of throw different types of offenders or offenses. As you probably know, Megan, in 2020, hate crimes rose to the highest level they've been at in more than a decade. And hate-motivated murders have doubled over each previous year. Any idea why? Well, I know what's happened. I mean, I know that the the uptick is due to perceptions of COVID um, and, and, you know, who is responsible. Uh, And I just mean really, truly perceptions. Yes, and... Just and, the, and false and, you know, just false ideology and, you know. Well, Asian American hate crimes in major U.S. cities has rose 150 percent in 2020 over the previous year. And I think that's definitely COVID related misconceptions for I sure. Think so, yeah. So it's hard to say while we know that hate crimes against Asian Americans are rising, I don't think at least from what we know, I don't think we can really conclude that this is a hate crime because we simply do not know the details of the case. But as we said, of course, it's possible and very likely that the investigators know much more than we do. Yeah, but I could not draw any conclusions about whether or not this is a hate crime just based on the fact that, no. the you know, the victim was Asian. That doesn't mean it's a hate crime on its on its own. I agree. So let's turn to our favorite part. What theories can explain what happened here? Given that we don't know exactly what happened, what I can conclude by looking at this, it Mm -hmm. seems I think routine activities theory is a very clear one. I think personally, from the little we know, Maggie was at the wrong place at the wrong time. I believe that she walked in on what was planning to just be a burglary. Mm -hmm. And then maybe she tried to fight them. I'm not sure. But I'm thinking maybe they felt the need to murder her because she would be an eyewitness. Um, I think that's true. So... 
routine activities theory, we don't discuss it a lot, but it it means that crime actually is the product of like routine activities, your you know, your daily routines. But essentially, when you have a motivated offender, a suitable target, and a lack of capable guardians, which could be people, an alarm system, a dog, mm-hmm. crime will occur. And so we spend a lot of time focusing on the motivation of offenders, but um, routine activity theorists say like, you know, you don't need to worry about the, everyone's a motivated offender, but mm-hmm. people are just motivated by something different. But crime occurs because of these three factors when they come together. And I think it's very clear that that house was a suitable target. Yes. Given that it was large, they probably, but you know, Megan, it's interesting. There were three cars in the driveway. Well, that should actually give you a hint also. It might give you a hint about who the perpetrators are. And the hint that would tell me is that it was someone who knew their either knew them or knew their routines by studying them. Now, one of the studies on routine activity theories uh, has to do with, um, or one of the ones that was done, like a seminal piece in the field, had to do with burglaries and how they found Mm -hmm. out about, you know, uh, burglaries being done. And uh, there was a burglar who kind of gave them the insight. So it could just be that they were, you know, scouting it. Mm -hmm. And let me correct that. There were only two cars in the driveway. Maggie's car was the third. So when Maggie returned home, Mm. there was likely... Two cars in the driveway. So what that means is that the perpetrators might have known that there was a tenant and maybe they weren't deterred by that tenant. And perhaps they knew that the father was away because if not, why would you go to a house that has two cars in the driveway unless they were planning on if someone's home, we're just going to hurt them. It's possible they went in with that motivation. I doubt that. Yeah. I mean, it's possible, but I doubt that. Um, I think it is a home invasion gone wrong. And I think they were either scouting the house or they knew that somewhat knew the family and the routine. I I don't believe Maggie was the intended target. I think, again, she just walked in on something. I think so, too. Um, It's really hard to tell, though, if there's information that we're missing. Um, I will say, if there's information we're missing, then it's hard to complete the picture here. I will say just briefly that if it is a hate crime, how do we explain that theoretically? Okay, so if it's if it were a hate crime, though, they didn't know Maggie would be home. What I'm saying, I, actually, I'm, I'm not saying about Maggie. I'm oh. saying if it's a hate crime mm-hmm. in general and it's a hate crime against Maggie yep. and we were looking at theory, oh, I usually okay. explain theoretically hate crime through either learning theory mm-hmm. or cultural theory. So yes. someone either has learned the behavior from another person mm-hmm. or part of a culture yes. that also enforces that behavior. But it seems like the house was the target, not Maggie. Well, I, I think so, too. But you're saying the police believe it uh, was a hate crime. So what I'm saying is if it's a hate crime, mm-hmm. it's against, you know, I would think it yeah. would be against her. Yeah. And I'm just saying when yeah. I teach about hate crimes mm-hmm. and I have to teach about accompanying theories, I often draw from learning and cultural. Mm-hmm. Of course, it's also possible that this person followed Maggie home. That's definitely a possibility. And it's possible that they entered the house behind her or with her. I think there's any number of possibilities here, to be honest. Like you've given us a case that it just seems to have so many Mm -hmm. um, elements and so many actual like could be. Mm -hmm. You also have to wonder if the house was targeted because of how many guns they had. So I thought that, too, when we're when you were talking about cash, when you were talking about suitable target, you said the house. I was Mm -hmm. thinking the guns and the cash. That's the suitable so target. If it's if it's somebody that knew them, if it's someone who yeah. didn't know them, how would they know what they were walking into? Right. And then it also makes me think this tenant who was in the attic, I would imagine the assailants didn't think this person was home or maybe they were working in cahoots. Like, who knows? I don't, <laughs> I don't have a clue. I, I mean, you brought us another, uh, you bring us a lot of mysteries. Okay. I'm not suggesting this is related, but Maggie's sister was a victim in a very high profile crime about a decade earlier. So kidding. we can end on this because it's just one of these connections that it's, it's just strange. 
On September 27th in 2006, I don't know if you know of this case, but there was a gunman who took six girls hostage in a high school classroom. And this was in Bailey, in the same exact high school in which Maggie attended. So, I'm sorry, her sister was one of the six girls? Of one of the six girls that was molested in that. Oh my gosh, that's... He killed one of them before taking his own life. Now, this man went into the school, he molested six girls and sexually assaulted at least two of them before a police team stormed into the classroom and during a gun battle with police, he shot a 16-year-old girl in the head, fired at authorities, and then took his own life. Now, the strange part here is guess who the lead investigator was? The same sheriff, the one that moved to Florida. Oh. I'm not suggesting these cases are related no, I at all. I, I just, understand. I can't ignore when, you know, when there's something, such a high profile case. And then it's like lightning doesn't strike twice. Like this poor family to be the center of these two stories. This this was known, Megan, if you're interested, if our listeners are interested in looking up this case, it was known, it was referred to as the Platte Canyon High School hostage crisis. And again, it happened in 2006. And it's a very interesting case and maybe one that we'll put on our list. It's an unfortunate yeah. coincidence or connection. It's that, very unfortunate coincidence. You know, two heinous crimes, really. Okay, so action items, Megan. This is a case that is unsolved. So the FBI, along with the family, are offering a reward that was recently increased to $75,000. And this is for the information that would lead to the arrest and conviction of the person or persons responsible for the murder of Maggie Long. Anyone with information about Maggie's case is asked to call the Maggie Long Task Force at 303-239-4243 or the Denver FBI at 1-800-CALL-FBI or contact the FBI with any tips, fbi.gov slash tips. You could find Maggie Long's case on their website. Maggie Long's Task Force website was linked in several sources, but no such website actually exists. But there is a Facebook page, so you can also get on that page to show support. Megan, this is one of those cases I really pray that we have an update. And the update will be that Maggie Long's killers have been brought to justice. So right. hopefully we'll hear more. And uh, thank you so much for listening today. And we'll catch you next time on Women in Crime. Women in Crime is written and hosted by Megan Sachs and Amy Schlossberg. Our producer is James Varga, edited by Jose Alfonso. Music composition is by Dessert Media. If you enjoy the show, please remember to subscribe and leave a review. You can also support the show through Patreon, where you can get access to additional ad-free content such as virtual happy hours and an extra full-length episode each month. For more information, visit patreon.com slash womenincrime. Sources for today's episode include Court TV, Nine News, CPR.org, Dateline, NBC News, Medium.com, TheFlume.com, and CBS News.